Hello, welcome everyone to our podcast, Identity Dialogue, Dialoguing with the Other and Myself. I'd like to welcome Lamia, a tech engineer living in the UK and a dynamic woman from the Middle East. Welcome, Lamia. Hi, thank you very much. So Lamia, uh, I wanted to start with a little exercise that we do in our workshops um, where imagine you are in the middle of a diagram, uh, you in the middle as a circle is Lamia, and around you are little satellite uh, circles of descriptors and words that are you, Lamia. Can you tell me a little bit about who Lamia is and these descriptors? Okay, yes. Yeah. So when I think of myself, there's a few adjectives or descriptors that come to mind. Um, I think the first one would be being adventurous. Um, I've got empathetic on there. I've got brave slash strong. Uh, I've got being a good friend, being free spirited. Uh, I'm smart and ambitious. And lastly, I'm a Palestinian. Interesting and very great descriptors. I was wondering if you could tell me maybe of a little, of a happy story when one of your descriptors made you really proud. Um, So I thought about this question quite a lot and in all honesty, it was maybe the hardest question to answer. I'm not someone that really is very good at talking about things that I'm particularly like proud of per se, but maybe I would say brave slash strong um, I would like to think that I've done a few things in my life that were quite difficult, um, not very easy to do. And I think the biggest one would be moving to a different continent, different country, completely different culture when I was 17 all by myself. Um, and it has shaped a lot of who I am today um, unintentionally. Obviously, I didn't know what I was signing up for when I did this. But looking back at it, it's crazy that a 17-year-old had so much drive and so much ambition to do something with her life other than, you know, staying in that bubble that she's always, you know, the only thing she's always ever known. Um, and that's something I'm really proud of. Uh, and this was just over seven years ago now. And I still think it's one of the, you know, m most courageous things I've done to date. And um, where did you move from? So I moved from the UAE, uh, United Arab Emirates, which is where I was born and raised. It's where my family still lives. Um, and in 2016, I moved to Manchester in the UK. And um, what would you say that made you proud of it? What was the thing that was so different for you coming from the Middle East to the UK? I think it was probably how open-minded I was to change because um, a lot of people have asked me in the last seven years while living here like oh how did I find the shift was it you know scary did I get a culture shock and I didn't experience any of that and I don't think that's because I was you know prepared for this or I knew exactly what to expect or I was naive I think I was just very very ready for a change whatever that change was um so I wanted to experience something different with my life and yeah that's something I'm really I'm really proud of especially at that young age um if you had told me that 
at 17 years old, I'd be doing some one of the things that I consider to be the most you know difficult or bravest seven years later I would have said nah surely I would have done more things by now I mean I have but it's still probably high on the list of things I'm really proud of okay great um so I'm wondering if there's another story where you were less proud or a bit sad uh, of one of your descriptors yeah this one funny enough was one of the easier ones to answer um it's it's a very clear one for me and that's being a good friend uh the reason I can confidently say that I'm a good friend to begin with is because I know that I'll be there when I'm needed you know I will listen I'll provide I'll support I'll do everything in in my capability to be there for a friend when when I'm needed but I can also be very difficult to get hold of when nothing is wrong when everything is just fine uh I'm awful at reaching out I'm awful at checking in and just responding to messages you know for the sake of catching up with friends um, and sometimes I worry that this does come across as like, I don't care or I'm not invested in this friendship or, you know, I'm only there when things go wrong. Uh, and that's the opposite of, you know, being a good friend, which is one of my descriptors. And it is something that I do need to work on. It's not something that I'm very proud of. And I try to express that to my friends to let them know that I am aware I am awful at reaching out and I'm really sorry. but you know I still need to change that um so yeah it's just not having to wait for a problem for me to be present for someone like I want to be present regardless so um I was wondering um about we talked about in previous discussions about explaining your identity and how it has evolved from being back home in the UAE compared to the UK and how you've had to do more education around that with people. And I wondered if you could explain or tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. So I think this is a really interesting question just because I didn't realize that my explanation had evolved at all until I was asked so. Um, the short answer is it went from being a very simple answer because I was surrounded by people who knew how things worked around here you know I was in the UAE everyone knew how things worked around in the UAE so I had very little ex explanation to do explaining to do sorry um and to be to, like to to just go from saying oh yeah I'm half Palestinian half Syrian to then having to go like oh um where am I from what do you mean like what do you need it for is that for paperwork is that for legal purposes do you just want to know out of interest my ethnicity um so it definitely has changed the answer significantly because there was a lot more explaining to do. The long answer is when I was in the UAE, there are many immigrants and many expats. So that's why I didn't have to do a lot of explaining as to like me not being Emirati. That was almost like a given. Um, I'm not an Emirati citizen despite being born and raised there. So the answer was always just half Palestinian, half Syrian. And usually that would suffice. Um, but when I came to the UK, the answer would usually lead to like, oh, so then did you live in Palestine or Syria? And then I would say, oh, neither. I was actually born and raised in the UAE. And then naturally the next thing would be, oh, so does that mean you're Emirati? And then I'd say, no, um, I'm Jordanian. And then they'd be like, oh, so does that mean you've lived in Jordan? And I'd be like, no, I've never lived in Jordan. Um, and then usually that leads to, you know, very interesting conversations. Um, and you realize that 
most people outside of the bubble that you grow up in actually have no idea about how things work in certain countries. Um, but that being said, I've come to like appreciate my background and my identity a lot more as a result of these conversations because yeah, it leads to really, really interesting questions, interesting conversations, interesting topics. So maybe for our listeners, you can tell me a little bit about how it comes that you have a Jordanian passport, how it comes with regards to being Palestinian um, and kind of the essence of identity from passport to region to being from Levantine and all of that. I wondered if you could give the readers an understanding of the geopolitical um, identity uh, realities. Yeah, so we'll break it down. I think the easiest way to start is by mother and father. Um, So on my dad's side, uh, both my grandparents are Palestinian. Um, So uh, in 1948, when the Nakba happened uh, in Palestine, uh, people kind of moved all around. Uh, Some people like seeked refuge in different countries. So they went to neighboring countries like Syria, Lebanon, uh, Jordan. Uh, some people just kind of moved to other areas uh, within Palestine, which is, you know, people who ended up, let's say, in the West Bank or people who ended up in Gaza, etc. So, um, yeah, as a result of what happened that year, people moved around. And then my grandparents uh, ended up being one of the people that had the Jordanian passport, um, because today we don't have a... Palestinian passport it's not recognized as an official passport at least um there are documentations obviously just not a proper passport that you can use to travel around and move freely um so yeah so my grandparents ended up possessing a Jordanian passport uh and then my dad was born in Syria so at some point they moved to Syria and this is where my dad and all his siblings were born as for my mum's side uh so I say Syrian just, you know, for, for, for the ease of it, but uh, she's actually half Syrian, half Kurdish, um, but I'm not in touch with my Kurdish side. So that's why it's very kind of difficult for me to speak about it just because um, I didn't grow up with the culture or the language at all. Um, and then she also had the Jordanian passport prior to marrying my dad, uh, just because my granddad served in the Jordanian army or for the Jordanian army. Um, and then they gave him the nationality or the citizenship as a you know little thank you, I guess. Um, and yeah, my parents got married. They had me in the UAE. But just because you're born in the UAE, it doesn't mean that you get the nationality or get the passport. So as a result of that, you usually get the passport of your dad. So that's why I've got a Jordanian passport, despite having lived and I was born there. So yeah, that's how I have this mix that I've got now. And then... I moved to the UK when I was 17, but yeah, I'm still here on a visa, so I'm not British by any means, so yeah. So it's interesting how geopolitics and culture uh, kind of creates this mix of identities and uh, borders are fluid and changing all the time uh, with regards to the name you call yourself and the origins that you come from and, and what you are. Um, I actually was wondering, which is really interesting, is what it means to be a woman from the Middle East uh, in the UK and in the Middle East. Is it different? Um, And then a Korali question after that, what does the hijab mean to you? Because I think in the West, uh, there's a lot of uh, symbolism and a lot of 
perceptions about women in hijab and uh, what that means to be a woman from the Middle East. So I wondered if you might answer that first question and then follow it with the, the answer to the second. Oh, so for the first part, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that being a woman from the Middle East in the UK uh, means constantly being challenged by stereotypes uh, and then also challenging them as well. Uh, but this goes for being a woman and being a Middle Eastern and then being a combination of both. You know, they each descriptor comes with its own set of challenges. Um, it's also important to understand that there isn't one right way to be a Middle Eastern woman, regardless as to where you live or where you were born or any any of that. Um, and I've been multiple versions of that woman as well throughout my life. I mean, especially while living in the UK, because I think this is where I, you know, became an adult and had to find myself and where I fit in society and all that. Um, so when I first came here, I was, I think, a bit more shy, a bit more timid. I kept to myself a lot more. I felt the pressure of representing Middle Eastern women in the UK, like amongst the West and I did not enjoy that pressure at all. So I was relatively quiet. I tried to not take up too much space in a room, in a conversation. Um, so yeah, I was very different to who I am now. And then after maybe, I don't know what the right word would be, but maybe freeing myself from, from that pressure um, and realizing that I'm not single-handedly responsible for the image and the reput reputation of Middle Eastern women around the world. I started to explore a lot more with my identity. I explored with my physical appearance to begin with, because I think that's a very big thing for just people in general. Um, one of the quick ways that people identify or put a label on you is just by how you look. Um, I explored with my hobbies, with my lifestyle, even with food diets, which might sound, you know, very harmless, but it being a Middle Eastern, there's a lot of also assumptions as to how you eat, what your diet is, you know, we love our meat, we love our food, we love all that, which is things I've also started experimenting with. Um, and I think that's when I realized that there's no one guideline to being a Middle Eastern woman. It's, there's no one right way to do it, um, especially in the West. Um, you will meet women that cover the entire range of, you know, from being, uh, very outgoing, very outspoken, very political to women that are just more, you know, keeping to themselves, more women that are, let's say, more traditional. You'll find women that want to conquer everything, that want to achieve everything there is to achieve, you know, to women that are happy to maintain the role of a housewife, to, you know, build a home. And yeah, I don't think there are boundaries to what to to being a Middle Eastern woman. There's and do no you way. do you think that Middle Eastern, although that's a large geographic area, prevents you the women who want to do everything, who want to achieve things in the world? Do you think the culture prevents you from doing that? I don't think it's the culture. Okay. I think, uh, unfortunately, and it's it's hard for me to say, but as much as I've got the privilege to be able to experience and you know try everything that I want to try not every woman and especially Middle Eastern woman has the privilege of doing that. Um, and I can't say that it's down to culture because you'll find two households from very similar backgrounds, very similar, you know, countries 
or even cities, you know, or two households that have the exact same backgrounds, but they will raise their kids very differently with very different values and very different set of rules. Um, and I've experienced that with growing up in the Middle East um, and having friends from similar backgrounds, but we did not have the same set of rules as to what we could and couldn't do. Um, so I don't really know what it would come down to. Uh, I think it's just different from ha one household to another. Um, and obviously I wish that wasn't the case. I really wish that every woman has the privilege to experience life however she'd like to experience it but that's not the case unfortunately and and what about the hijab what what is your perspective on the hijab uh the perspective from the west of the hijab your personal experience of the hijab yeah so um i love this question because i have a personal experience with the hijab so some people in my life might know that i used to wear a hijab um it's not something that I hide at all. If you go to my socials and you scroll back down like far enough, you'll see pictures of me wearing it. Um, and its meaning for me has evolved over time. It's not been static at all. So when I started wearing it, I think I was around 13, 14. Um, and I was in the UAE. I was surrounded by like-minded people. Um, I didn't really have to explain myself at all when I wanted to wear it because a lot of people around me were wearing it as well I didn't have uh, people asking me challenging questions that really forced me to kind of formulate an answer it was just like oh congratulations that's really good you know I'm proud of you for doing this you're doing the right thing etc um, and yeah people were generally just very positive about it but there weren't any questions that required explanation and what was the reason that you wanted to wear the hijab? And what are the reasons that people wear the hijab? Um, so for me personally, um, at the time, it was my way of getting closer to God. Um, and it was also heavily encouraged by uh, people around me, my surroundings, my friends. So me and a few friends at school at the time wore it at the same time. Um, so yeah, it, there was a community around it, which was very nice and very encouraging as well. Um, at the same time, my mom wore it. Uh, so I guess that also made it easier because uh, I know a few friends who started wearing it without their moms wearing it, which might have been a bit more challenging. Um, and yeah, that was about it. There wasn't a lot more thought that was put into it. And uh, I had it on for over three years. Uh, and then I moved to the UK uh, in 2016 and I still had it on. Um, and when I moved, there was a bit of worry, I guess, or concern from my family because of what you hear in the news. It's like, oh, just please be careful. You know, you're in the West now. You're wearing a headscarf. People are going to label you. You're going to be you might be targeted, et cetera. You know, just Islamophobia and all that. Um, but I'm very, very lucky to say that I've not experienced any of that at all. So the reasons that I ended up taking it off have nothing to do with, you know, being harassed or being targeted or being treated badly at all. Um, the reason that I ended up taking it off is because uh, when I moved here, people started asking questions and they, they weren't bad questions at all. They were asking from a place of interest, a place of curiosity. And I was being challenged for the first time and I realized that I don't have 
the answers to a lot of the questions that they were asking. And also I started to feel the pressure because it felt like I was representing Muslim women a lot more now. Um, and I felt like there was an image that I had to uphold um, and I was answering on behalf of a lot of women because for a lot of people, they have never um, had the chance to ask someone who was wearing hijab all these questions. And and I was very open to the questions. I you know provided a safe space where they could ask anything and I thought I could answer all of them, but unfortunately I couldn't. Um, and then that pressure just got to be, I didn't really enjoy um, being a representative for something that I wasn't ready to represent. Um, and that's why I ended up taking it off, uh, just because I didn't feel good for that responsibility. Um, but that being said, what does the hijab mean to me now? It still should mean everything that it's meant to me, as in it's for the majority of people, it's a form of, you know, practicing their religion. It's a form of getting closer to God. It's a form of, um, just a, a sacrifice that one would do for God. Uh, and this is their form of, you know, feeling pious. Um, and I I wish that I could say this is the case for everyone who wears a hijab. Unfortunately, I don't want to take away from the people that are, uh, you know, being forced to wear it, the people that don't have the freedom of choice, the people that can't freely express how they want to dress, how they want to present themselves to the world. I don't take away from that at all. And I have grown up around people who were forced to wear it, unfortunately. So I don't take away from them at all. They very much exist. They very much are, you know, being oppressed. But I also do want to say for the majority, it is a choice. It was a choice for me. I was very, very happy to wear it. And then I also had the choice of taking it off, which I, you know, need to acknowledge that not everyone has as well. So yeah, it means different things to different people, but what it should mean is just freedom of choice and freedom of practicing what you believe in. Right. I actually did have a little practical question about wearing a hijab in 50 degree heat. How do people manage it and what are the kind of rationalization that they do to wear it in that kind of heat? As someone who wore it in that heat, it didn't really affect anything. Uh, it, di it didn't change much about how I felt about the hijab. Um, I think because regardless of what you're wearing, it's hot. It's hot anyway. Um, that one extra layer that you're putting on does not change, you know, how hot it is really. Um, but then even if it did, for the majority of people, it's a very, very small sacrifice that is worth the outcome which is being closer to god um so when you have a bigger goal uh, something much greater than you that you are trying to achieve the heat is is a very minuscule factor if at all um so it's something that's very easy to get over um because there's there's a bigger goal in sight and that is just you know being closer to your god uh, interesting. Very interesting. Uh, I wanted to ask a question a little bit about your Palestinian roots and how you identify with your Palestinian roots. And what does the story you were told about where you are from affect you um, with regards to your father's origins and that origin story for you? 
And then again, the second question, is, what does it mean to be from Levantine for you? Yeah, of course. So I'll start with what it means to be from Levantine. So the first thing that comes to mind easily is just my culture. I'm someone that is so proud of my culture and in love with it. I love the food, the music, the clothing, the dancing. It all is something that I find a lot of joy in. That's obviously not to say that all the countries in the region uh, have identical cultures because yeah, Levantine consists of four different countries. It's Palestine, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. Um, obviously they've got their differences, but um, they're similar enough, at least to me, um, because I grew up in a household that was, you know, both Palestinian and Syrian. Um, and funny enough, I don't always know which bit comes from which country. Um, it kind of all just merges into this one culture that I grew up with. Um, and yeah, this is something that I find a lot of comfort and a lot of pride in, but also what my culture represents to me is a lot of kindness, a lot of generosity. And in general, Arabs are known to be some of the most hospitable people. It's a stereotype that we've got. And, you know, uh, Palestinians and Syrians are no exception to that. Um, and it's something that I've seen in my own house growing up with my parents. And I think that kind of feeds into uh, you know, the first question that you asked me and then when I said I'd like to think of myself as a good friend, it definitely comes from there a little bit because I've watched my parents just be present for people in need. Um, and I took on that a lot. But then on a much, much deeper level, I think being uh, from these countries, but even more specifically being a Palestinian, uh, it means resilience. Um, I think of my people as very, very strong, a big you know, symbol of resilience because uh, the majority of us are diaspora. You know, um, like I said, Palestinians uh, are descendants of their grandparents and wherever their grandparents have ended after 1948 doesn't make it any less of a Palestinian. So you've got Palestinians in every single corner of the world like um myself who was once in the UAE and now I'm in the UK um and I've met loads of other people like myself um and I've never even been to Palestine and it still doesn't make me any less Palestinian because if the diaspora do not continue identifying with their heritage with their lineage with their culture then it will very very quickly die so it's very important to not let um, you know, events like what happened to our grandparents in 1948 let our culture die and let dictate who my identity is because it's not limited to, you know, the borders that I reside within. Um, and I think that's what makes our people very, very resilient because regardless of where you are, which corner of the world, whether you are in the West Bank, in Gaza, in the West, in any country, um, Palestinians hold on to their identity very, very strongly because we refuse to let it die as a consequence of just historical events. Um, and if it did, then that's erasing history, you know, and if I didn't keep it alive, then who else will? So um, can Palestinians live with others? 
and uh, still maintain their culture? 100%. And I very confidently say that because um, I continue to do that every single day. I've done that from the day that I was born. I've always lived around people that were not Palestinian, um, not Arab, not from the same region, not, not from the same culture at all. And I think it's not just can we, but it's uh, we need to know how to do it. And that doesn't just apply for Palestinians. That applies for absolutely everyone from everywhere. And it's not just limited to your um, culture or your nationality at all. I think we all need to learn how to live amongst people that are not like us, whether that is in culture, in beliefs, in traditions, in lifestyle. Um, it's just something that is very important, a skill that you have to develop because you will never just yeah. exist around people that are like yourself. Um, and you not only need to know how to do it, but also find joy in doing it and appreciate the opportunities that you get when you live amongst people that are not necessarily like yourself. So yeah, definitely can as a Palestinian and should do it as a Palestinian. And that doesn't take away from your identity at all. So I was wondering if you could tell me your favorite food, your favorite Palestinian food. Yes, of course. So funny story. Um, I'm actually mostly a vegetarian. So most of my diet is, a ve is you know, vegetarian. I don't eat meat. I don't cook it. I don't buy it, etc. However, the exception would be Palestinian or tra traditional food. Um, and I think it's because there's an element of nostalgia there and it's one of the ways that I connect with my culture. So when I go back home, I am no, no longer a vegetarian, especially when it comes to my mom's cooking. Um, so my favorite dish is called msakhan, or if you were to search it up, you'd spell it as musakan. Um, and it consists of a layer of bread. Um, it's Arabic bread, which is similar to pita. And then it's drenched in olive oil, uh, lots of onion, lots of seasoning, and a lot of sumac and then topped with chicken. And it's, I think, one of the biggest comfort foods for me. Uh, and you can also make it in ways uh, that, you know, are a bit more easy to consume, I guess. And that's the way that my mom made it for, for us growing up. So you can just roll them into small sandwiches, batch freeze them, and, you know, have one whenever you want. And it's, it's yeah, I associate it with a lot of comfort and a lot of nostalgia. And I think everyone listening should find a Palestinian restaurant ASAP to try one. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's what I'm going to do when I come to London next week. <laughs> so thank you, Lamia, for educating us and telling us about who you are and where you're from and you as a woman, a Middle Eastern woman, and all the other professional and interesting, adventurous things that you do. Um, I want to thank you and um, have a great day. Thank you very much.